0: Hello, thanks for tuning in. It is 11 o'clock as I hit record, and you are listening to Crash, the UK Geek podcast. This is episode 371, recorded on Friday, the 12th of February, 2021. And uh, good evening to you. Tonight, we are catching up with Doctor Who, and we are talking about the classic vintage adventure. The Deadly Assassin from 1976. Before we launch into (laughs) the main part of the show, let's talk about the state of the rewatch. A minor change that you'll hear tonight, and to save confusion, not your confusion, but my confusion, as I read through the notes, is that I have moved the on-this-day item to where the audio clip segment used to be, which is where it was before. It got moved last time because things were just a little bit more chaotic. And I've done that so that I can see the date of the broadcast right above the on-this-day bit. And talking about confusion... Man, there's been a lot of confusion going on, which you're going to hear at great length when I moan about it in the next non-revisit pod. So many things have gone completely up the spout lately. It is a miracle that you're hearing this. And I know I say that quite often, but (laughs) man, things have just been going terribly sideways. Okay. Regarding The Deadly Assassin, I actually watched, or rather re-watched The Deadly Assassin, maybe rewatched if I have seen it before, right after the perhaps rewatch of The Hand of Fear. This means that the show isn't going to be totally fresh in my mind because it's been a while since I did that. On the other hand, for a change, it might mean that I've had time to reflect deeply on the story and really had a good think about it. Of course, you know who you're listening to. I did absolutely no such thing, and the story didn't in fact cross my mind until I started working on these notes a couple of days ago. What I'm telling you is that I had to really rack my brain box to remember what I actually saw, even though it's only been days ago. Okay then, before we start, I'd just like to say Happy New Year, and welcome to the Year of the Ox, and that includes my mate Pete, who I haven't heard from for years. And on that note, let's actually talk some notes it's so weak in the deadly assassin the fourth doctor is played by tom baker the companion is played by no one because there is no companion this week the director was david maloney the writer robert holmes the producer philip hinchcliffe and the locations outside the bbc let's talk about those the multiple environments of the matrix ...were filmed in July 1976 at Betchworth, at Betchworth Quarry, and the Royal Alexandra and Albert School Lake... ...all located in Surrey, as well as Wickham Air Park in High Wickham. The Deadly Assassin is Story 3 of Season 14... It follows The Hand of Fear, which we talked about in episode 370. The Deadly Assassin consisted of four 25-minute episodes, first broadcast from the 30th of October to the 20th of November, 1976. As there is no longer any audio clip, let's talk about what happened On this day in the UK and the rest of the world and the rest of the universe and the multiverse and all those amazing places, what happened that was of great significance and I've got absolutely nothing. Even the UK singles music chart let me down as there is nothing significant or memorable for that day. Let's just say that it was a good day because it was a Doctor Who day. Okay, let me tell you what happens, and then we'll talk about what I thought, and other delightful things. In the TARDIS, the Doctor has a precognition of President Barusa's assassination, and so he arrives on Gallifrey and attempts to prevent... The assassination but just as he discovers the rifle that is used in the assassination he is arrested for murder and taken into custody by the Gallifreyan head of security Castellan Spandrel to delay his swift execution and to allow him time to investigate the murder The doctor runs for president, which he is entitled to do under an obscure piece of legislation, Article 17. The delay in the execution allows him to investigate, and his investigations lead him to The Matrix, which is a computer archive used by the Time Lords to store their memories on their demise. The Doctor transfers his mind into the Matrix, and inside fights a virtual Chancellor Goth, who is under the influence of the Master. Yes, it's the Master again. It turns out that the Master, who is at the end of his 12th, Allotted Regenerations, and is now a monstrous skeletal figure, is plotting to overthrow the Time Lords and regenerate by stealing and using the Sash and Key of Rassilon. These are devices disguised as ceremonial items of historical value, because they once belonged to one of the founders of Time Lord Society, Rassilon. And they have the ability to control the black hole known as the Eye of Harmony, the nucleus of which powers Gallifreyan technology. The Doctor warns the Master that his insane plan will fail, and many worlds will be destroyed, including Gallifrey. The Master, of course, ignores the Doctor, and begins tinkering with the obelisk in the area of the Citadel, known as the Panopticon, and causes an earthquake. There is a scuffle between him and the Doctor, and the Master falls... But, at least the damaged Citadel, the City of the Time Lords, survives. After defeating the Master, and preventing the destruction of Gallifrey, the Doctor says that the Master may have survived, and as he leaves in his own TARDIS, we see the Master escape in his TARDIS, shaped like a grandfather clock. Whew, okay then. That's what happens in this four-parter. Let me tell you what I thought. First of all, it is strange to see the Doctor without a companion. But I enjoyed having him all to myself and seeing how he operates on his own, which we'll get to a little later in the trivia segment. The scene where the Doctor is framed for the assassination of President Barusa, and the strong themes of brainwashing throughout, reminded me of Alan J. Pakula's brilliant and paranoid conspiracy, The Parallax View from 1974, starring Warren Beatty, which I must have mentioned, as it is such an entertaining film, that I really do appreciate, and have watched many times, and still watch occasionally. And if you're the sort of person who listens to this podcast, you'd probably like that film as well. The scene with the Doctor on the balcony, and then the themes of precognition reminded me strongly of David Cronenberg's 1983 adaptation of Stephen King's 1979 novel, The Dead Zone, where Johnny, played by Christopher Walken, is about to assassinate the evil Trump-like presidential candidate played by Martin Sheen. Another great film, and also a good Stephen King novel. Again, those... uh, very probably, things that I've mentioned before on the show, and highly recommend. According to The Beeb, unsurprisingly, the Manchurian Candidate from 1962, which starred Frank Sinatra, was an influence, so my analysis is not too far from the mark, and I wish I had remembered that film when I was writing these notes, but no. That's from the BBC website. Again, another great film, by the way, that I have watched multiple times. Let's move on to something else now. I liked the doddery, old, techie, although who can really tell with Gallifreyans? Coordinator Engin, played by Eric Chitty and Castellan Spandrel. Played by George Pravda. Who has this amazing on-screen gravitas. I have seen George Pravda in other things, but I can't really think of them offhand. There's a long list in his IMDb page. But man, what an actor. The action-packed jaunt into The Matrix. A computer-simulated world. Does that remind you of anything? The Wachowskis. And man was that action-packed. In The Matrix, the Doctor's attacked by a train, <laughs> a biplane, and this maniac white hunter, dressed up in safari gear with a rifle, who reminds me a lot of a similar Maniac Hunter from the film Jumanji. I will say, though, the Doctor uncovering the hand of the Master wasn't really that difficult, because who else in the Hooniverse uses a shrink gun? And yes, the Master has returned. Although I was irritated by the Master's frequent machinations, During John Pertwee's tenure, I miss Robert Delgado greatly. Even if the character he used to play would now be played by a different actor, in this case a chap called Peter Pratt, it feels as though a little of Delgado's spirit survived. The Master's TARDIS in the guise of a grandfather clock is disturbing. I think it's something we've seen before. I think. The extremes of both seeing that skeletal hand creeping into something so small externally and the vague sinisterness of an old grandfather clock is unsettling. I did, though, find getting into the depths of Gallifreyan and not just Time Lord cultures fascinating because after not really knowing that much about Gallifrey from previous episodes of the Classic series, we are plunged headfirst into a heavily stratified ancient and bureaucratic culture. I know Classic Who is quite old, and by this time, because of New Who, people know quite a bit about Gallifrey, At the time, all this stuff was new and interesting, so if I just pretend that I'm seeing this stuff for the first time, it does scratch the itch of finding out more about Gallifrey. For example, we learn that while Gallifreyan society might tentatively be called a democracy, it is a democracy that still has the death penalty despite their... Much-vaunted, highly-advanced civilization, it still has torture. It has a terribly elitist, technocratic class system, with the masses actually referred to as the plebeian classes. Even the name of places like the Panopticon echoes this elitism. (laughs) Believe me, it does look up the meaning of the word panopticon, or just let me do it for you. According to Wikipedia, the panopticon is a type of institutional building and a system of control designed by the English philosopher and social theorist and supervillain Jeremy Bentham, they don't actually say supervillain by the way, in the 18th century, The concept of the design is to allow prisoners of an institution to be observed by a single security guard. So, I'm guessing from the point of view of the panopticon in the Citadel of Gallifrey, from the centre of it, the person there, presumably the President, can see everyone in all different directions. He has complete surveillance of everyone and everything. So much for democracy, then. There's also the elaborate costumes. The hats, the gowns, the makeup. All of which I love. And there are also these elegant alien names of prominent Gallifreyans. The repression, the fancy costumes... All this stuff reminds me of perhaps Imperial China, Imperial Trantor, from Isaac Asimov's foundation novels, and perhaps Mervyn Peake's Gormenghast. As well as that macro view of Gallifrey, we zoom in to a more micro level and examine other Doctor Who lore. One example of this is the Pridonian chapter, which is an elite within an elite. A group of Time Lords that includes President Barusa, the Doctor, and the Master. Does this remind you of Oxford's Bullingdon Club or Yale's Skull and Bones? Maybe. And there's also the first mention of the CIA. The Celestial Intervention Agency, which I thought was a nice comedic introduction to some of the more nefarious aspects of the Time Lords. In conclusion, then, I enjoyed this story more for the fantastic job of world building that it did in just under two hours rather than for the drama itself. And on to the trivia, only one piece of trivia this week, and that is that this is the first and only time the Doctor appeared in a story entirely without a companion, at least on TV. I'm not sure about the franchise as a whole, for example the books or the audio dramas, but apparently that is the only time he has appeared without a companion on the small screen. Thus ends my deep and thoughtful analysis of the Doctor Who story, The Deadly Assassin, from 1976. Or just what some bloke thought about an old story from Doctor Who. I'm looking at my show notes now. We are officially in the after-show section, and there's a big blank line there. I have absolutely nothing... ...in the show notes to tell me what to say in the after show section. According to the waveform in Audacity, it is now coming up to 32 minutes. Although I'm pretty sure it'll be a bit shorter than that when I edit it down. Maybe. Maybe I'm wrong. I can never really tell how long these things are going to be until I start editing. But for now... The show that you're listening to is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Martha, a writer. Martha is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at RoyMartha.com. If you want to help, get me out of here. No, only kidding. Please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen, recommend it to a friend or a mortal enemy like the Master, or click on the contact or support link on the website. And that is it. You are listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, Crash, the UK podcast for the Culture Geek, Technology Nerd and Creative Wizard. This was episode number 371, recorded on Friday the 12th of February, 2021, and the time at the end of the show is 23.35.30. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye for now. Bye. That was a rather ominous bye. It would be a good time for this to dissolve into... That Doctor Who theme music, but of course, copyrights. I can't do that. So instead, you're gonna to have to listen to me twanging my banjolele, which is a phrase I really like saying. Twanging my banjolele. Twanging my banjolele. Maybe I could just say goodbye again and add some reverb. I'll do that. Goodbye. <laughs>